carry nearly 80 gigs of data in my head. You're in the mainframe. It's eating through Greg's entire system. Access encoded. Gigabyte of RAM should do the trick. We're in. We're in. We're in. We're in. We're in. Hello and welcome to We're In, a podcast that gets inside the brightest minds in cybersecurity. I'm Bella Deshanskuk. And I'm Jeremiah Rowe. Today we're talking to Tracy Z. Mayleaf, who many people may know as the InfoSec Sherpa on Twitter. Yeah, I uh, I mostly avoid Twitter, but she is one of the few InfoSec people that I do follow, and it's always pretty cool when I see her come up on my timeline. Um, she has a huge following and a lot to say about cybersecurity. But beyond that, she has a really fascinating story about how she got into working in cybersecurity in the first place. She's been a librarian, worked at the New York Times, and now works as a security researcher at the Krebs Stamos Group. We have so much to talk about with Tracy, but first, a really quick word from our sponsor. We're In is brought to you by Synac, the premier crowdsourced platform for on-demand security expertise. Synac delivers 24-7 pen testing, intelligence, and vulnerability management from a global network of vetted and trusted researchers. Their work is enhanced by smart technologies to accelerate your critical cybersecurity missions. Synac gives businesses the best chance of finding every vulnerability that matters. Find out more at synac.com. That's S-Y-N-A-C-K.com. Welcome in, Tracy. Uh, it's lovely to, to get to chat with you today. I've been really, really looking forward to this conversation. So I guess, first of all, h- how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing excellent. Thank you. No, I'm thrilled to be here today and just honored that you uh, that you all invited me. So thank you. Absolutely. The, so the first time that I ever actually saw you speak was at the Diana Initiative Conference in 2020, which I think it was their first year virtual. And I was so jazzed to get to attend that conference, especially virtually. It was like really, it just made things really like easy and all the all the talks were, were beautiful. But specifically, your talk was titled Empathy as a Service to Create a Culture of Security. And I found it really, really interesting and impactful. And I loved this concept of approaching security you know, with a more human-centric approach. And I was wondering if, if you could just sort of tell us a little bit about that approach and what that means. Sure. Thank you so so much for that that kind feedback. Yeah, that's a talk I'm really proud of. And and yes, and it came about because of my unique career change from library science world. I was a librarian mostly at law firms for about uh, 15 years total. And I was very shocked to see in InfoSec how much the the end user or customer, uh, whatever term you want to use, the the consumer of security services at an organization was met with a lot of disdain and ridicule. And coming from the library science world, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of anonymous librarian Twitter accounts that like to complain about library patrons, but this was open hostility <laughs> that I haven't really hadn't really experienced before. And I found that really troublesome because I'm I am well aware that we want these users on our side. And I know that that there's a better way to go about that. So I I based that talk, Empathy as a Service, on a seven-step guideline that is taught in in grad school for library science and used by librarians all over. It's called the reference interview. And 
the the purpose of that is to help you figure out what a patron's really asking for because sometimes it's not clear but i was able to take those seven steps and apply them to our information security world through stories through you know, through true stories that i experienced and really trying to get people to understand that if you create allies within your company not just you know, the, not just a receptionist through the C-suite, but also just other tech departments, too, that we really need to get rid of that attitude that somehow security is superior and doesn't have time to talk to any other departments or work with them. So um, I'm just doing the best that I can in my little corner of the world to try and get people to have a really different approach about security. I want to take it from, you know, the none shall pass to welcome, come in, do you want some tea? You know, I really <laughs> want to turn it on its head. So that's what I'm trying to do with, with and that And it was talk. a really cool, the, the talk... <laughs> I like that Lord of the Rings. <laughs> the talk was really cool, and it was it reference. That, I, I I just wanted to mention that it was really cool. The listening to the talk, there was a lot of. I think a lot of the talk was focused on sort of how a security department can like be more approachable to like the rest of the company and the C suites and things like that. But I've also had conversations where we come with like we found this really interesting vulnerability, and like when we we focus more on like how let's turn this conversation into like a learning experience for both of us. Let's focus on, you know, how to make this, I don't want to say a pleasant experience, right? Because it's not fun to find bugs. <laughs> it's not fun to find vulnerabilities. But that that culture of like, this is a cool thing that we now get to like learn about together. I find it like way more successful. And then customers like come to me with questions and we just get like, when those t experiences happen, I find the customers more often to like ask me for advice and things like that. And it just oh. like, it, it's so positive. Absolutely. Yeah. That's approachability, which is one of the steps in the reference interview. And yeah, you have to be approachable and it's all about empowerment. You want your customers or your users to feel empowered and be a part of the process. So yeah, rather than admonish them, Turn it into a teachable moment of, okay, so yeah, hey, we did find something bad, but let's let's talk through it. Let's see how we can improve it. Uh, but this also goes for other departments, too. Uh, and if I can share a quick story, I had a real wake-up call in one of my, my jobs as a blue teamer where we were asked to meet with an engineering or development department uh, within this company because they wanted to use an open source free software and we were there to evaluate it. And in hindsight, I realized the team was probably going in a little harsh. And the wake up call came when the manager of the other department said, why do I feel like I'm being punished because I asked security to weigh in on this product? And that was like a gut punch and a real wake up call. And that's when I, I really spoke up and said, okay, let's, you know, you're absolutely right. You're not being treated fairly here. Let's go about this a different way. And in my own way, I was able to cut to the heart of the matter, which was they didn't have the funding to get the more secure paid version. So that's when I said, okay, well then who do we as security need to talk to to get you more money so that you can get the more secure paid version for this product because it really would be a major vulnerability and liability to this company 
I think there's this weird stigma in cybersecurity when individuals try to think about admonishment for asking questions and doing things. And when, in fact, us either on the cybersecurity side or red teaming side, blue teaming side, we look at it as they're trying to get over one on us or they're trying to bypass security controls or they're trying to, you know, circumvent the system. And and that doesn't help anybody, right? Because we're not coming about it from a perspective of trying to understand. We're coming about it from a perspective of of they're doing wrong already, right? And I think that's that's an important distinction that you just briefly touched on. And I just kind of want to, you know, say that those of us individuals in the industry that are doing this might want to reflect on that. Yeah, that, that's a good point for you highlighting that. And and I wanted to mention that again too. That yes, I, I'm not naive enough to think that everything is is innocent. Yes, you may uncover some. Uh, you know, some insider threats, uh, or somebody may try to be putting something past you. But this is my perspective on that. If you are good at your job, you will be able to ferret that out. So don't assume malintent. But if you are skilled at what you do, you should be the one to pick up on malintent and not assume that everyone who is comes across, you know, your your department is is trying to get one past you. So a uh, quick question. You started your career in around 2015. And from the outside look again, it seems like you've had tremendous success across the board and a number of the initiatives that you've gone through. Uh, Bella just mentioned one of the fantastic talks that you've done, right? You've also worked at the New York Times, and now you currently work in the Krebs Stamos Group, um, which was ultimately formed by... CISA director Chris Krebs. And I, if I pronounce that wrong, I, I apologize. Um, it's Stamos. Yep. It's Stamos. Yeah. And, and actually, well, it, my career started later than 2015, if I can just interject. Oh, okay. Yeah. 2015 is when I declared the year of my career. And I was still a law firm librarian and I decided to dip uh. a toe in the tech world first because I knew that I wanted to make a career change. So it wasn't until about maybe halfway through 2015 is when I found cybersecurity. Uh, so I actually quit my law firm job in January of 2016. And then it took me a year and a half from there to get my first sock job in 2017. So, uh, so yeah, so you're not, you're not entirely wrong, but yeah, I was still a law firm librarian, uh, through January, 2016. Yes. Yeah. Which is another point I want to mention real quick too, if that's okay, is a lot of folks say that they're interested in cybersecurity, but they're not ready to make a change yet or things like that. Or I actually had one woman say to me, I am completely content as a software engineer, but I'm feeling all this societal pressure <laughs> that I should get into cybersecurity. And I tell people, oh, wow. just be a security advocate where you are. That's what I did as a librarian. You know, when I, I described it to the CIO of the law firm as security is my quirky hobby. You know, and that's when I offered to run. Yeah, that's a longer <laughs> story. So I was like, great. Bloom where you're planted, you know, just just become a security advocate where you are. It's interesting for me to learn about the perspectives of individuals that started elsewhere and then migrated into cyber. Because one, there's a huge talent gap shortage. Everybody realizes that. 
And so the more people, the more people we can get into cyber, the more women we can get into cyber, and the more individuals that want to come in and participate is exciting to me because I've always been enamored with cybersecurity. And so I'm kind of curious where your journey started to think more broadly about culture and InfoSec and the community and trying to bring it all together. Sure. Well, this came about, my career change came about because I felt like I had reached everything that I could do in the law firm library world. So in the fall of 2014, I would be very sad, a very sad commuter on the train in and out of Philly. And I mean, there were times when I was crying on the train. I was that awkward person crying on the train because I I had worked so hard to get to this this level at the law firm and within the library world. And I had accomplished a lot in the library world. And I just thought, is this it? Like, I feel like I don't, I, you know, I don't feel like I can coast on this career until retirement. Whereas I do have former colleagues and friends who are completely content to coast in library world uh, for, you know, till the end of their careers. And I wasn't satisfied with that. So I happened to read an article on the train. It was in Entrepreneur Magazine. And the title of the article is called How to Future Proof Your Career in 2015. And I read this article and a couple things stood out to me. And one was um, take a look back at all the jobs or classes or things that you've done in the past and try to find a common thread. And when I thought back, I realized that tech was my common thread. Whenever something needed to be fixed in the office, whether it be a printer, I had one job where I discovered a back channel email that nobody knew existed. Uh, I found things like that. I enjoyed going to the computer lab pre-GUI internet because I am that I am that senior, and uh, and that's when I realized that. And I just had never considered tech. I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm on the uh, the gopher boards and everything poking around. Um, I my my funny story is when uh, just as a side note I I met up with I tr- I managed to track down uh, someone I was friends with that she moved away when we were in elementary school and we, I remember we met up for brunch one day and she, I remember she said to me she's like you know it was so great to hear from you but I'm so surprised you found my email address because my college is you know, address book or, or, you know, directory is really locked down. I'm like, is it? <laughs> like, so, um, but I, at the time I didn't realize that was hacking. I, I didn't, again, I, I wasn't exposed yeah. to people or media or anything to know that what I was doing was a skill. So, you know, and again, I do have some regrets that I yeah. didn't get involved in this sooner, but this is why outreach is so important. I didn't know. I had no idea. For so many times, I was the only woman in the computer lab on campus, and nobody would talk to me. I feel like there's so many more options now, and I want to be part of that catalyst for for change. That completely brings up another question for me that um, is just I I feel is right on point, and uh, clearly we have a diversity problem in cybersecurity and throughout the tech industry as a whole, really. So, what are some of the things? ultimately, that we can all be doing to change this dynamic and increase the pipeline for underrepresented communities to be able to come in. Absolutely. Yeah, this is really important. This is a big passion of mine. And I'm going to you know, say this here, and I, I have said it on Twitter, and I've said it out loud. White women aren't diversity. Okay. Yes, we do need women in the industry. 
but white women already have have certain privileges and have also broken a lot of barriers already it's it's the underrepresented folks of color that we really need to to help get in further and you need to do that by being an ally and you need companies need to be better about also posting jobs where communities can can see them underrepresented communities for example there's a hashtag black tech twitter and there's a bot that will retweet you if you use that that hashtag so if you've ever followed me on twitter you'll notice that i try to tag as many diverse groups and hashtags that i can fit into the tweet because i want to get on their radar another thing you can do is sometimes you need to reach out to folks from underrepresented groups in order to invite them to apply and people may be saying well that's you know an unfair advantage and all this stuff no you need what i have found in my experience i'm not going to speak from anyone else's experience you need to help ensure to that person of color that they're not walking into a bad situation you know they may not apply someone of color may not apply to your job blindly because you know for to your company blindly because they don't know the culture there they they may not know any people there and you know think about that you know that might that's a very scary situation to walk into and you you know you don't know what the culture is like there uh so i feel like you we need it the the burden is on us the onus is on us to reach out make folks of of from underrepresented groups feel more inclusive and wanted and that that falls on us you know to reach out to folks so uh that that's the way i see it it's also crucial to have diversity because we all have different threat models and if we're only basing thing on a you know cis straight white you know profile that's doing a disservice to so many different groups i actually do a lot of mentoring uh with africans uh, i feel like africa as a continent is a a huge uh growing future workforce for cybersecurity in addition to the source of a threat it's both um but it's no more a threat or a resource than anywhere else in the world i feel like people make africa out to be more of a threat than a resource there are very brilliant minds in africa and the african diaspora who can definitely help us with tech and cybersecurity issues but they're just not getting the chances I think all of this that we're talking about with, you know, the different perspectives in particular, I know that's something that you mentioned is how important it is to have different perspectives in the cybersecurity conversation and tech conversation. And it reminds me of like uh, this. I feel like this is almost a cliche example at this point, but it's one of the like clearest illustrations of this for me is when um, a, a black woman realized that facial recognition technology like didn't catch like or was incredibly less reliable on particularly like black women's and black people's faces. And it's like, you know, this is one example that it's not, it's not possible for any one person to be able to account for everyone's perspective. And so it's important to get as many perspectives as possible in the room, um, particularly for tech and cybersecurity. Absolutely. And I, I take an aqua jog class, which is filled with mostly senior citizens and myself. And this morning, had one of my my ladies swim up to me 
and they know what line of work I'm in. And she said, what do you think of Waze, the app Waze? Because that's how she used to get around. And, you know, first I, I commended her for asking me about the security and privacy features. And I said, you know, let's make sure that your profile is locked down so that people can't follow you. I said, I, I know that there's a, there's got to be an article or instructions from the Waze website to direct you how to make sure the privacy setting is enabled. I'll text that to you later and and do that. And then another woman came over and said, why does my Google Maps pop up and prompt me to go, to always come to the gym when it's time for class? And so I was just as quickly as I could in the middle of the pool, <laughs> got into, you know, machine learn, <laughs> yeah, ma- machine learning and things like that. I was like, well, it's, it's learned patterns. So again, I know that not everybody's up for that answering questions in public. I kind of got used to it as a librarian, but there's a condition called librarian face where people will just approach librarians in public because they can just tell that you're a librarian. And I'm just so used to that, that I just kind of carried that over to cybersecurity. An example of this is I know some people say, well, I told someone to use a password manager and then, you know, slapping hands like my work here's done. No, you can't just tell them to use a password manager. Maybe pull up, you know, maybe have have something on your phone that's like a dummy entry so that you're not showing people your password. Maybe have like something called, you know, four A's or something so it sits up top and just say, hey, can I show you real quick? This is what a password manager does. You can't just say, oh, go to, you know, insert name of password manager here and just use that. That's not really help, super helpful, is it? Yeah, because like to someone who doesn't know about cybersecurity, I feel like the f- the word password manager alone is like, what is that? Is that a website? Is that a person? Do I have to pay for it? Is Do I have to redo all my passwords to use it? Like that doesn't, it means almost not. It's funny that you talk about password manager because that example is one that I have with my friends a lot is like people constantly ask me like, how do I do better passwords? Or like, or like, I was shamed once for having a bad password. How do I fix it? And it's it's always passwords. And and it really is like if if I feel like that example of like if you're if you're not like giving someone advice that like meets them where they are with their understanding level, it's kind of useless. But but I mean, think about it this way. It's like kindergarten. We had show and tell, right? You didn't just hold up your stuffed monkey and not say a word about it. Or you didn't stand there and describe something but had no pictures to show. It was called show and tell for a reason. (laughs) And we kind of need to get back to those basics. So that's what I want people to think about. When I give my empathy as a service talk, I talk about Dungeons and Dragons in one of my talks. I said, did you ever have a mean dungeon master who made fun of you because you didn't know how to do things? And you can hear all these murmurs and see the nods in, in the audience and I'm like, if that's what helps you realize this, then think back to that. I say to people, you weren't born knowing how to code. You had to learn. And your code was probably really crappy when you first did it, right? You know? <laughs> so I try to get people to remember to take themselves out of the the situation. Yeah. And speaking of this idea of like, you know, people being novices and 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 learning a new skill and things like that. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about the the diversity issue in tech. Um, I think beyond just a lack of diverse individuals in tech and in cybersecurity, there's also just like a lack of 
of people. You know, people talk a lot about this, you know, the, the talent shortage, and there's a bunch of different cliche names for it. But it's this idea that there are a lot, there are like all these open jobs in cybersecurity, and then there aren't people with the expected skill sets or the interest or background, whatever it is, there, there aren't people to fill those jobs. How do we get people interested in, in tech? Well, get comfortable because I have very strong opinions about this. <laughs> and if I may respectfully disagree, I don't think we do have a people shortage. I think we have a problem with hiring and retention and getting past, uh, you know, fire, the, the HR firewall. There are too many job postings that are not written correctly, requiring a CISSP for an entry-level position. I think there's a big disconnect between the hiring managers and the HR and personnel departments. And it is it is very difficult to get past those screeners and all the the technology that companies are utilizing to to screen resumes and letters and, and applications and things like that. So that then requires people to rely heavily on people networking. Well, what happens is too many people have homogenous professional circles. So who keeps getting referred for jobs and getting behind that HR firewall are just other people who just look like you from your homogenous professional network. So I really don't think we have a shortage because I'm on Twitter all the time and there are constantly people begging for jobs. And I, I really don't think it's a shortage. I think it's that the companies aren't really well equipped to hire. Companies aren't willing to train. They want every they want turnkey employees to show up on their doorstep. Well, you know what? That's great if you're in a long, well-established industry. We're still in its infancy, especially compared to other industries. So you need to change your mindset that you're not going to find these fully functional, you know, uh, red teamers. And I think like, okay. <laughs> I think it's almost like, um, and, and for the record, I, I, I agree with you. I think this is a fun, <laughs> sorry, you caught me being incendiary. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. But I think, no, I like, I like to, I like to get fired up. I'm good. glad you, you planted good. that seed for me. Um, but I think it's such an, it's, it's almost like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Of like it, when these companies are like, oh no, we don't have, like, there's nobody to hire to fill these jobs, but also we require you know, 10 billion requirements. And then the people that are interested, the people that you're talking to on Twitter that that would, would be able to do this job, have the interest, but maybe don't have uh, a degree because Lord knows there's a zillion different reasons why people can't, why getting a degree is not accessible to everyone, or they don't have a, a super expensive certificate, whatever it is then those people that might have interest, it feels like it discourages them from, from like, I've seen people who try to get into this industry, can't, and then switch, right? Because you can't, you can't like look for a job for years and years. And, and it's like, when companies are saying like, no, there's no one to fill these jobs with these requirements, and then no one can fill them because they're looking for these absurd requirements. Someone reminded me of a of a pull quote from my entry in Tribe of Hackers, and I forgot that I said this, but I, I said something about companies keep um, hunting for unicorns when they really just need to pay attention to the squirrels at the base of the tree. There are so many squirrels out there, but they keep looking for unicorns, and nobody wants to train. They don't want to spend time, and and then it gets into the debate of, is cybersecurity an entry-level industry? 
And I can understand why people say no, but I feel like the people saying no are also the ones with with a lot of privilege and also fell butt backwards into security after being in tech. So I feel like it's very uh, curious to me about their gatekeeping of, you know, oh, you can't be entry level and be in cybersecurity. Well, you started somewhere, you know, you, you've probably showed up one day at work and were told, okay, now you're part of security. Well, you weren't necessarily up to speed, were you? But, oh, well, that's, that's different. Is it? Yeah. So I have very, and maybe it's just the Philadelphian in me, but I have very low tolerance <laughs> for this kind of BS. I don't believe that there's a person shortage. I, I do believe that we're growing. There's a growing need, which is a difference. And my situation very, is very unusual. And I admit that. And that's why I'm very careful about when I give career advice. I already had a master's degree coming into this with a transferable set of skills. You know, that's why I was able to, to jump right in because I was doing OSINT for 20 years, but I didn't know it was called OSINT. <laughs> it literally wasn't until I started to move into the InfoSec space when somebody said to me, oh, you have all this OSINT experience. And I literally thought OSINT was a, a programming language like COBOL because of, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't know what it was. And when they described to me what OSINT was and, the, and the guy said to me, well, what did you call it when you were a librarian? And I said, doing my job. Like we didn't have a fancy name for it. Like that's so, so what, what I'm getting at is, is you may have transferable skills and you know, whether you worked in fast food or you were a nanny or you were a nurse or anything, construction, um, mechanic. I actually recently helped um, a gentleman who worked as a mechanic. He really wanted to be a pen tester. And I said, okay, let's, you know, that's that technical mindset troubleshooting. And he now has a part-time job as a, as a pen tester. Uh, and he is also working on certs and finishing his degree and things like that. He's a, he's a young kid. But I tell people, harness your transferable skills and have what's called an elevator pitch ready to describe them. It's such an interesting uh, concept for me, just the transferable skills that are aligned with um, librarians and the capacity to conduct OSINT and to identify uh, uh, information that, that may be embedded in uh, troves of knowledge, right? Uh, and so I never quite thought of it in that manner until you were talking with us a little bit ago about this very concept and it's and it's so very interesting to me right so you mentioned there's not really you know in your perspective a talent gap shortage there's you know it's a people being hired problem um and 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 i'm kind of curious about that like how do we fix that very cyclical problem that bella mentioned right around this individuals hiring the individuals they know that look like them that are in the same circles right and also address the growing need problem that's currently in cyber? Well, a lot of it's education. I mean, kind of going back to what I, and and awareness and things like that. Like I mentioned before, I I didn't get involved in, in tech or cybersecurity sooner because I just didn't know. I didn't see other women in the computer lab. Visibility is so important. And, you know, awareness uh, of this is important. So, you know, 
a lot of cybersecurity folks need to be more proactive. You know, if you're if you don't feel like going to a library, maybe go to your chamber of commerce, commerce where a lot of small business owners are who may not have necessarily have the funds to protect themselves, but you can give them some tips and, you know, give them what's available and help them with that. So, I mean, I it's it's a very complicated issue. I mean, I mean, I think I think also because there's no standardization really of roles. I now I do believe that that CISA is or is it CISA or CISA? Um CISA <laughs> is uh working to uh improve this. I I really love the leadership of uh, my current boss, my former former CISA boss, and the current CISA boss, Jen Easterly, I, I feel like there's a whole new push now to really kind of get that career information out. And actually today they put out something about free tools and resources to use. So those, those initiatives are fantastic. So I think it's, there there is a skill issue to an extent, but I think it's because we don't really have some good standardizations of you know, these are the skills that you need because it's, it's pretty clear. Like for example, for me to be a librarian, I knew that I needed a master's of library and information science degree. That's what I knew I needed to do. So I got that. But in our world, I mean, some people don't have high school diplomas or maybe they have a GED and, and that's great. I'm not saying that's as a disparaging way. I'm just saying that, you know, I have a master's degree, but there are some people have GEDs. We're all over the place and we do have people with PhDs and we have lawyers. And so that's the problem is that because again, because we're, we're a relatively new industry, we're kind of all over the place. And I, I think that that opportunity also becomes overwhelming to some people because it's not in nice, neat little Kubernetes boxes for us. <laughs> I saw that drop in it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's a benefit and a detriment at the same time. I think it's great that we have so much variety and different perspectives and different skill sets. But at the same time, it does kind of make things a little chaotic, right? There are so many transferable skills. And I, I think it's it's almost like this issue of, of I think, sometimes hiring managers or, or maybe not hiring managers, but HR and tech need to remember how many transferable skills and are there are from so many different industries and like what that looks like. Because it, it does feel like sometimes they're looking for like, do you have a degree in cybersecurity? And it's like everything else gets ignored. And for what? That's not really getting us anywhere. Yeah. And the, the CISO of, is it Experian? That she had a music degree and she, am I naming the right company? She, there was a CISO had a couple of years ago, there was a huge breach. I want to say it was Experian and she had uh, music degrees and she got thrown under the bus left and right because of these music degrees. And it wasn't that she was an opera singer, it was that she did music theory and, mu you know, music, right? It was, and it doesn't even matter if she even did singing, but, um, I remember being very angry about that. What different, and like whenever there's breaches, I don't recall ever hearing what college majors the male CISOs had, but whenever there's a female CISO, all of a sudden it's like, oh, she was a liberal arts major. That's why this happened. No, it's not. You're just trying to find a reason to 
you know, discriminate against women in this industry. There was a while when when there were a lot of breaches going on that I would go online and use my OSINT skills to look up the major of the male CISOs at certain companies and make sure I tweeted that because it seemed only fair that, you know, people know what major everyone had when these things happen because it's it's oh so crucial and really matters in in the real world. <laughs> Uh, there, there are people that I've seen in the industry and individuals that that do do not have a cybersecurity degree. I myself do not have a cybersecurity degree, um, and others that I've known and seen don't have uh, degrees in cyber. There's an individual I know that has a degree in psychology, and this particular individual is one of the most creative folks that I know of to be able to analyze people from a humanistic approach and have that kind of training, and then they apply it to cyber, like yourself. Yeah, well, and it's so new, too. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's such a new discipline that there's not going to be a lot of colleges. There are some institutions that seem to be jumping on the bandwagon, and you do see a couple articles a week of colleges starting labs and majors and minors and things like that, and that's, and that's great. But yeah, again, I think that for the current workforce, it's going to be more unusual that you actually have. And even if you have a computer science degree, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know security. I've talked to many computer science majors who don't understand security because that's not the computer science classes that they took. So yeah, we need to kind of get past all this and you need to look at the person's skills, their aptitude, their ability, their interest, their curiosity, and their, you know, problem solving skills. Like we need to kind of get beyond that. You, you can't, you can't measure someone's ability for cybersecurity based on, measures for another industry. There's an interesting perspective around individuals and their ability to bring their current skills, right? And as I think about that, and as you speak, I'm wondering more and more if our talent gap, and I'm using air quotes this time now instead, uh, I'm wondering if our talent gap is aligned to the fact that we're looking for people with individuals with cybersecurity in the tagline. And when they're not meeting that, we're just immediately discounting them. Yeah, we're getting too in the in the muck and mire for this and not really thinking outside the box. And I think gone are the days when you just assume that the tech folks will just roll into security uh, and and happily take on those jobs, because I think that's kind of what has been happening for the most part. Basically, if you want to get in in this industry, you know, you're just going to have to really fight for it and not expect anything to be handed to you because, you know, we're kind of like the the old, you know, early 90s websites with like the construction worker diggings is under construction. In many ways, we are that, you know, we are still under construction as far as as our industry goes. So if you want in, you just kind of need to jump in the pit with us. It's sort of the last question that I want to ask, kind of related to that. So I know you mentioned Twitter earlier. Uh, I know you're very active on Twitter. And in this kind of conversation of getting more people, you know, into the industry and, and talking more about how to improve this industry, how do you feel like Twitter as a conversation tool works for that kind of motive? Oh, well, all of my cybersecurity jobs are a result of Twitter, (laughs) so I say that it works. Um, I have learned so much from Twitter. I've connected with people through Twitter. I've helped so many people 
through Twitter and LinkedIn too. We'll just lump them in here too. No, I think it's a very useful tool. Is there drama? Yes. Is there drama in every industry? Yes. That's what makes me laugh because again, I think about library and Twitter drama and people in infosec, infosec Twitter saying like, oh, are we the only industry that fights like this? No, no. Every industry has their own, you know, villains and heroes and rock stars and, you know, we're not unique, which makes me laugh. Like, oh, I bet we're the only industry that does that. No, it's and, – and if they don't use Twitter, they use something else. They, they say it to your face <laughs> or something. So um, Twitter can be a very useful tool to help you connect with people, to help you learn. Like I said, I was able to build a brand and a reputation and professional networking through Twitter that, yes, literally all three of my cybersecurity jobs had a Twitter factor in there one way or another. And yeah, it, it's great. And how awesome. Yeah, it, it's, been, it's been amazing. So yeah, I mean, it's not, again, I'm not trying to look at it through rose-colored glasses. I know that there's also a lot of bad stuff that happens. But, you know, again, it's, I I also have a personal rule that I try, I, I don't like to go on Twitter after midnight, because in my experience, it's kind of just like gremlins. They just, it, yeah, like, it devolves. Yeah. I just, it just gets <laughs> weird. And yeah, and it's just not a good, so that's, I, I was, I'm like, you know, like, I even try not to look at it, because I'm like, it is, after midnight Eastern time, Twitter turns, it's like after dark, and it's like, you know what, I am too old for this club, like, I just, I'm gonna just go wait for you at the donut shop across the street, oh, and then help, help your drunk, you know, self get home into bed, so, um, yeah, it can be very useful, and it can be a very yeah. fun and community place, and, and everything, but again, it, just like anything, it's a tool. And it's how you use it. And if you're going to go on there and be a jerk and smash people down and make idiotic comments and mean things, then, yeah, you're not really using the the tool right then, you know. But if you go on and you try to help people and you're a decent person, then, yeah, it can be a very beneficial place. So that's how I feel about that. I mean, I, I know it's not the best place in the world, but it's not the worst either. <laughs> so. <laughs> so on that, our very last question for you, this is a question that we ask all of our guests. Uh, it doesn't have to be too serious. Um, what is something that we wouldn't know about you just from looking at your LinkedIn, Twitter, social media presence? Oh, that's hard because I'm pretty um, open <laughs> with all my things. Yeah, This is our say, social um, engineering portion all right, of the fine. So, I mean, I, I feel like I've, I don't think I've tweeted this before, but um, I do have a favorite episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, and it's the episode where they try to teach, I want to say it's Kendall, a lesson about privacy and security. <laughs> oh, how funny. That yeah, is funny. it was um, – I think she kept geotagging and her posts. Again, this was a this was like many years ago by now. The show's been on forever. But I want to say it was like Kim and Courtney and who's the other one? Chloe. I think they wanted to because I think she got a stalker out of it because she kept posting where she was and they were trying to teach her about geolocation. Yes, I am very well aware it is not 
real. I know it's a reality show. I know it's not that real, but I still think that it was a very good way to show folks that who wouldn't normally sit for a, a privacy and security conversation to do that. And then later, Absolutely. unfortunately, Kim Absolutely. had the issue in Paris where she was robbed. And again, I feel like they were able to turn that into like a PSA for privacy and security to reach people that normally wouldn't sit still for something like that. I'm like, this is really valuable yeah. privacy and security information that they're dropping, but they're doing it in such an approachable way. And people are going to be listening to it who may not even realize that they're what they're listening to, but just know to do these things because Kim said so, you know, because because sneaky learning. You know, so yeah. That, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of my guilty pleasure of, you know, w watching some Kardashians episodes and just kind of pulling out the like real world lessons. From that's awesome. Them. So <laughs> thank you for sharing. Yeah. <laughs> sure. All right, I think that's it. I think we did it. Yep. Tracy, thank you so, so, so much for joining us today. This was a really, uh, a really great conversation. And it was great to get to talk with you. Thank you for your time. If you liked today's episode, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe wherever you're listening to this. It'll really help us get noticed on your favorite podcast platforms. Also, share this episode with your friends. And if you haven't already, make sure to check out all the other really fascinating people that we've already interviewed. We're also open to suggestions. If you know someone we should be talking to, drop us a line at we'reinpodcast at synac.com. That's we'reinpodcast at synac.com. We're In is brought to you by Synac. If you're looking for on-demand, continuous access to the world's most skilled and trusted security researchers, you can learn more at Synac.com. Synac recently launched its Empower Partner program so that partner organizations can more easily offer the Synac pen testing platform to their own customers. This approach helps optimize Synac partners' technical competencies and allows them to better integrate Synac into their portfolios. It's a way that partners can win new business by adding continuous, best-in-class solutions to cybersecurity, cloud, and DevSecOps offerings. Synac partners with organizations around the world to make them safer, more resistant to cyber attacks, and more capable of finding and fixing dangerous vulnerabilities before attackers are able to exploit them. Learn more at Synac.com. That's S-Y-N-A-C-K dot com.